Welcome to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. We want to encourage, equip, and connect those with a passion to impact the next generation for Jesus Christ. Student ministry can be a lonely place. You might even feel like you're the only one in your church or community that cares about students. Well, know this, you're not alone. People all across the country are engaging Gen Z and care deeply about the spiritual direction of these young men and women. Whether you're full-time, part-time, bivocational, or volunteer, if you have a heart for students, this is the place for you. Welcome to another edition of the Student Ministry Matters podcast. I'm Dan Carson. I've got Chris Vines with me. Hey, Dan. Well, it has been a week. We have just gotten back from the BMA of America National Meeting in Springfield, Missouri. We both had a chance to be there. What was some of your highlights, Chris? You know, it was good to to see people I haven't seen in quite a while, catch up with some friends. I ended up being a little under the weather a lot of the meeting, and so that kind of kept me from being as social as I wanted to be. But uh, all in all, it was it was it was good. I enjoyed enjoyed getting to to hang out with people I hadn't seen in a while. I was really thankful for our worship team from our church being able to lead this year at the meeting. And uh, that was a that was a special blessing for me just to be able to see them up there and serving in that way and and uh and, and getting to enjoy them and in kind of some different space, if you will. So as I watched and as we worshiped together, I noticed that you had not just a guitar and drums and the typical things you might see in a worship band, mm-hmm. but you also had some wind instruments in the back. Are is that a part of your normal worship band? Yeah, if by wind instruments you're talking about like a horn and yes. stuff like that, is that true? <laughs> that is true. A trumpet. Okay, and- <laughs> okay. trumpet. Yes, I think that yeah. was one of the instruments. Um, I, I don't know anything about music, uh, but yes, those things, those instruments, uh, make a regular appearance on on Sunday morning. We have a small orchestra, if you will. Uh, I think I can use that word in the right context there, but. They always refer to themselves as the orchestra. I don't know if that's just because they like that word or if that's because what they really, <laughs> that's what they really are. But yeah, I mean, we we're we're blessed with a with a great a great team of volunteers who are willing to serve in that way. And we have uh, we have a couple of actually currently there's three band directors, uh, local band directors that are members of our church and um, and serve in that capacity uh, as well. So they. They, of course, uh, that's just one of the ways that they they serve our church. And so it's an incredible blessing to have that kind of team on a regular basis. I can imagine just being able to see your people up there serving on a bigger platform and seeing seeing what they do. And you get to experience each Sunday. That probably was a a big deal. Um, You know, one of the things that I love about our national meeting, of course, you mentioned it, seeing people that you haven't seen in a while getting to reconnect. And so I want to encourage our listeners, if your church is a part of a larger group, go to those meetings, spend time developing relationships with others that are in ministry. It's a powerful thing um, for you to have those so that when you meet, when you connect, you just can share some. I had a a great chance to, to spend some time with two of my oldest friends and they are older than I am. So they're really, they are old. But it is just a great time for us to to do that. But it's also an opportunity for us to spend some time 
meeting with some of our departments. And one of those departments is actually our podcast partner, Central Baptist College. And so, Chris, tell, tell us a little bit about our podcast partner. CBC, Central Baptist College, um, one of our, our state departments that is our, our state college that uh, is located in Conway, Arkansas. Uh, we talk about them on each podcast. I, I, I was looking at their website earlier, and this is by far not a formal plug, but uh, it's my way of just kind of uh, maybe enticing some of our listeners to, to check them out. And it, it also was interesting to me to, to find some of this stuff. Currently, CBC has over 40 different degrees, 12 of which are fully online. There's a 12 to 1 student faculty uh, to faculty ratio. 99% of students qualify for scholarships and aid. That's pretty incredible uh, when that you is. think about that, uh, that particular number. Uh, 88% of graduates are employed um, after two years. Uh, so I, I thought that was a, a really cool stat as well. And 11% higher wage earnings after graduation than the national average. And so, of course, CBC uh, is all about academic excellence in a Christ-centered environment. And there are different degrees for you to, uh, to check out. But one of the things that just you have to do as you're looking for a college, as you're looking for what's next, um, whether you are leaving high school and looking to, to enter college for the first time or whether you're looking to get back into uh, maybe your college degree that you, you left unfinished uh, or just want to start one that you never got around to. One of the, the best things that you can do is, is actually just give Central Baptist College a call and schedule a time to come <clears throat> get on their on their campus. Uh, they, they have a beautiful campus. There's a rich history there. Uh, there's several new additions uh, to the campus. But once you once you get there and you get to meet some of the people in charge and the people who are uh, going to be um, sitting over you in the classroom, uh, I, I believe that it will be a, an easy an easy decision from there on uh, attending CBC and uh, and getting that degree. So I love CBC. I uh, graduated from there myself and can't recommend it uh, enough. So check them out, cbc.edu, or just schedule a visit. Go see them. It's a great place. This weekend, they're actually performing the Music Man musical. And so some of those friends that I was at the national meeting with just headed on down to Conway, had a chance to see some of that. Well, today we are spending some time with these concepts that we've been looking at for the past several episodes. We're talking about helping students navigate some difficult emotional areas. And so we've talked about the impact of COVID-19. We've talked about anxiety. We've talked about death and loss. And on today's podcast, we have perhaps the greatest podcast guest we have ever had. And maybe that's just my opinion because she's my wife, but I think she's pretty special. And so we've got Temple Carson with us, and I want to get all of her information just right. Besides earning her Associate of Arts degree from Central Baptist College in Conway in 1992 and a Bachelor of Arts from the University of Central Arkansas in 1995, Temple earned a Master's of Science in Community Counseling and Marriage and Family Therapy from John Brown in 2009. She's a part of the team at Fresh Roots Family Counseling Rogers and is a licensed professional counselor, a licensed marriage and family therapist, and a registered play therapist. In addition, she serves as a licensed supervisor in the state of Arkansas in all those areas. She's also currently serving as an adjunct professor at John Brown University of Salem Springs and as a volunteer teaching faculty with the Open Doors program 
through Regent University, where she is teaching Ukrainian psychologists how to utilize play therapy with children. Temple, I'm thrilled that you're on the podcast with us. Yay. (laughs) I'm glad to be here. (laughs) That is the best response we've gotten so far. (laughs) Yay. I love it. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Well, again, Temple is is involved in, in helping families and helping all sorts of people. I wanted to have her on, especially as we're doing this series. We'll probably have her and Sydney, Chris's wife, on together at some point as we talk about ministry wives and being involved in ministry together as couples and, and some of those things. But today, again, we're talking about navigating the difficult parts of family breakups and helping our students through that. That's what it's all about. Well, Temple, before we get to those questions, let me start with this one. I'm fascinated by your work with counselors on the other side of the globe. So tell us a little bit about that and what you've been doing since the conflict broke out in Ukraine. Well, I am just a small part of a team of professionals that we work through an organization called Open Doors, and it's through Regency University. We all volunteer our time. I started with them almost two years ago, just teaching the basics of play therapy, which is a very exciting thing for me because um, play therapy had never been introduced to the country of the Ukraine before. So we were kind of teaching about play therapy for the first time. And that's a passion of mine. And um, I enjoy doing it. So we went along and it was pretty uneventful for about two years. And then the war broke out. And since the war has broken out, I've been Again, a small part of this team that has continued to minister, uphold, support professional psychologists in the Ukraine as they try to reach out to the person sitting right next to them um, through this devastating time. And we've been doing training uh, trainings for what it's like to work with children in crisis, people of all ages in crisis. And we've been had some guest speakers in to speak about that. We've been supporting them any way we can and um, helping to give them stabilization through this process. It's just a small part of a bigger machine, but um, I feel very honored to be a part of it. Temple, maybe you could tell our listeners what play therapy is. Sure. So play therapy is a specialty within mental health. And it is a way of just simply working with children in their primary natural language, which is the language of play. So a child will come into my room and instead of me sitting down with a five-year-old and saying, so how was your day today? Or how was your week? Or expecting them to really be cognitive and speaking to me. I have a room that looks very much like a playroom. It delights children. There's toys everywhere. And um, they feel very comfortable in the room and they come in and they start naturally to play. And I engage with them either in play if, as I'm invited or I am just a very present person in the room with them as they play. And they show me their inner world through the play that they as it unfolds in the room. Let's uh, let our listeners get to know you a little bit better, um, as we often do. How did you come to know Christ? That is um, an interesting story because I did not, I was not raised in a Christ-centered home. I was raised by um, not really an atheist, but a pretty strongly agnostic 
father and my mother, while she went to church um, in her younger years, she was not going to church through my childhood. So when my parents divorced, when I was 11, we, my mother and I moved back to Arkansas and we moved in with my grandmother and my grandmother had two rules in her house. And the two rules were you have to keep your room clean and you have to go to church. And I managed to go to church. And that was kind of the one of the two rules that I kept. <laughs> and I just started hearing about Christ's love for me. And it was really kind of unusual, but I was just coming out of a child of divorce myself. And so I was really hungry for this message of acceptance and love and come just as you are. And one day, my grandmother, unbeknownst to me, all the ladies at church, all the little old ladies <laughs> at church in the JOY class were praying for me for the moment I stepped into Arkansas. And um, I went to the house of Toland Wells one day as she served as, if anybody knows Toland Wells, she was famous for her roles. And she was showing me how to make roles. And she had me over. She set my grandmother and mother up to make the roles. And she said, Temple, come here. And she just took me into the other room and she opened the Bible to me and she just Romans road from the beginning to the end. And it's the first time that someone had like, okay, now what are you going to do with this? What do you want to do? And just put it to me very personally to think about it for the moment. And I very quickly accepted Christ. I was ready. It was Halloween day. I remember that it was October 31st and I went to church that afternoon. And my pastor was um, Brother Richard Walters. And I we told him what had happened. And I was baptized that night at Temple Baptist Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. And so from that point on, she has been Temple from Temple. <laughs> yes, I, I couldn't escape it. I was Temple from Temple in Little Rock. And then I went to Rogers and we were at Temple Baptist Church there. And <laughs> yep, Temple from <laughs> Temple most of my life. Now she's Temple from Calvary. Not quite the same ring to it, but uh, yeah, all growing up, that was that was who she was. You know, I, I'm so thankful for, well, doubly thankful uh, for, for people like that, that invested in you and invested in your life. Who are some of the people that invested in you during your teenage years? Oh, well, Donnie Parrish was my youth minister. And so he, um, he came to our church when I was 15. And before I was 15, I had many people who invested in me. I was personally and significantly. I was involved in something called Girls Missionary Auxiliary, and Mrs. Ferguson was in charge of that. And she took charge of all the girls under her care. Miss um, Sue Johnson prayed for me. I, there were, there's too many people to name. Um, but when I was 15 is when Donnie and Datha Parrish came to the church and um Datha was really instrumental in my life as my youth pastor's wife. And we would go on trips together and we would hang out with her. And so as instrumental as Donnie was, Datha was equally instrumental in my life. And um, there's just too many. There was Mrs. Duggar, who was Dr. Duggar's wife. There were just so many excellent people. Miss Lily Mae Stark. I just, there's too many people to count that um, I was very fortunate to be in a church that was rich with people who were very grounded and rooted in the word and in faith and very um, invested in myself and others my age and saw as as, as members of the church um, in our own right and wanting to include us in, in activities. You know, that's one of the things that I, I'm always excited about is hearing about churches 
that it's not just the youth pastor, just the youth minister that is pouring into students' lives. In fact, it's one of the things that I hope that that I'm developing along the way at whatever church I'm in is this attitude of, hey, it's all of our responsibility to love on these students. I know that that our daughter experienced that that sort of thing, that she experienced a, a group of people at the church that loved on her and cared about her. I know the answer to this, but I want you to share with our listeners. You've been involved with a variety of helping fields over the years, mm-hmm. but why did you land on counseling and play therapy as kind of that, that area that you've embraced? Um, I think that I started out in helping fields actually way back as a senior in high school. And I was organizing for a um, organization called SCAN, which stood for Suspected Abuse and Neglect. I don't think SCAN's even around anymore. And that gave me kind of a toe into the helping fields. And then as I went through school, I I volunteered for different organizations um, in Conway. And then I, I worked with court-appointed special advocates, CASA, for a while, and I just couldn't really find a fit. And then when we moved to East Texas and then Central Texas, I worked for an organization called Child Protective Services. And I was an investigator and a case manager and did that for a few years and quickly learned that that was not the part of helping that I wanted to be in. But part of what I did was I would take kids to their counseling appointments and I would sit and I would talk to the child counselors and I quickly discovered that that is what I wanted to do. That's the help, the side of helping that I wanted to be on. Um, at that age in my early twenties, I did not feel like I could step into a counseling field. I felt like for myself, I did not have the life experience and I felt like I didn't have um, enough to go on to give people. So um, we moved back to Arkansas and I think, I don't know, 1993, I think is when we moved back here. It was 1993 because my son was 1999. Ah, nine. My husband's shaking his head like, no, that's wrong. <laughs> 1993 <laughs> is when we got married. Yes. <laughs> 1999 is when we moved back to Arkansas. Thank you, hon. <laughs> and I went, I was a stay-at-home mom for a long time um, with my children. And when my, our youngest daughter, who is now 20, when she went into kindergarten, I felt very strongly that God was saying, now's your turn to go back to school as well. And so I enrolled at John Brown University in the counseling department, in the counseling um, for just to get my master's. And we were, we were students together during that time. And the rest, as they say, is history. (laughs) (laughs) The topic for today is helping our our students navigate family breakup. And I know that for me personally, this has been, it's a hard thing to figure out because I have no personal experience with it. My parents were married all my life. I mean, until my dad passed away, they they were a married couple. And Chris, how about you? What's your family relationship like? So my mom and dad have thankfully always been together. Um, they, uh, I would say from an early age, uh, I mean, I always remember them as imperfect as, as we are as a family. Uh, I always remember them being committed to one another and I'm thankful for that. And, uh, and they're, they're still together. Uh, I I don't know how many years exactly they've been married. I probably am a bad son for not knowing that, (laughs) but, uh, 
You know, I think they would tell you that, especially early on, I mean, because my dad was not a, uh, I, I think he would say that he was a Christian, but it wasn't until I was probably around 15 until when he became a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in, in all seriousness of that term. And, uh, and at that point, you know, life began to change uh, in a good way, you know, uh, and and so I, I kind of as a memories, I, I can think, I mean, again, as my mom and dad have always been together, uh, I can remember a time where their relationship looked a lot different than it does now. Uh, and it did in my years leading out of high school. So I, I don't know if that answers your question of what my family looks like, but that's that's essentially no, us. I mean, yeah, com- uh, completely I, does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so because. That's that's one of the things that that I've struggled with is as I've seen a family break up or experience that that thing that my family did not. Now, my family, like yours, wasn't perfect by any stretch. uh, But at the same time, mom and dad stay together. And then, you know, all around me, there were kids and families breaking up even when I was a teenager. And so, Temple, you know, as we talk about divorce specifically, um, now, what are you seeing? What are the things that are causing divorce in our culture? I think there's a lot of things that are causing divorce in our culture. But the first thing that comes to mind is that there's so many marriages that are child centric. And what I mean by that is that so many marriages are putting the children as first place in the family and in the marriage. And you know, just when you say it like that, it sounds like it should be a no brainer that, of course, children should come first, except that the the quality of the relationship can take a beating sometimes when the relationship takes such a backseat to the children that are living in the home. And the children are put in much higher standard than any than God being involved in the relationship. And I just, I find that a lot of child centricism is leading to a lot of disillusion of marriages. Is there anything else that would maybe secondary to that? Or does that just feel like? I, I think that I could, I don't know. I think there's many things that are secondary or, <laughs> or even for that tie with it. There's as many reasons to get divorced, I think, sometimes as there are for to get married. But yeah. COVID was really difficult on marriages. Um, hmm. The isolation and quarantine and the anxiety has been really difficult on families and on marriages. And before that, I think social media is really difficult on marriages. I think that pornography is very real and um, is difficult on marriages. I think that there's a lot of reasons that kind of go that direction. Like before, you could, I think in like the 80s and the 90s, people would say, what is the main reason that people are breaking up and people might've been able to point to one or two main reasons, maybe like workaholism or something that just not, they would kind of be able to box it up more neatly. And nowadays I think there's, I I think that what it boils down to is that marriages break up when you don't put in the time and work that's needed to um, help them last. Temple, what, you said a a term a minute ago uh, and I didn't, I wanted to make sure I heard it right. You said, Kid centra, how, how what what was child, the word? Child centric. Child centric. So yeah. I have an idea of what I think that means, but would you mind just explaining what what sure. it is, what you mean by that? So what I mean by a child centric marriage is a marriage where the children are the primary, um, primarily what's driving everything in the family. So yeah. the relationship gets put on the back seat 
due to the needs of the child, whether it's because they're going from activity to activity to activity or some whatever drive it may be helping that child succeed, that becomes the main indicator of the entire family relationship. So yeah. we used to be able to talk about, um, about like lawn. Uh, I mean, we used to talk about um, ho- hovering parents yeah. and we used to talk about the different kind of parents and that has kind of shifted to where now we don't just have parents who are kind of like hovering parents. Now we have parents who are the new term is lawnmower parents. The mm-hmm. lawnmower parents are the ones who just go before the kid and wipe out every kind of a potential problem and they mm-hmm. want to get, make it as smooth as possible for the child in order for the child to succeed. Well, that's a lot of, that's a lot of, a lot of things. So there's a lot of pressure on the child and there's a lot of pressure on the relationship that the most important thing in our family is the success of the children rather than the, the success of the marriage. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I've seen more recently the, the breakup of families after kids leave the home. Right, the the, yes. the the splitting, and I know that's always I say always, but it's it, I know it's always been around in some degree, but I'm beginning to see it seems like more of that where, like you're saying, um, the marriage has not been a focal point, and then when the kids are no longer present, there there seems to be no real drive or there's uh, no foundation. Know-how. Or motivation, yeah, of, of continuing. There's no longer marriage. a foundation for the marriage to stand on because the foundation was the children. Yeah. And now, as children do, they leave because yeah. children are never meant to stay in our homes forever. Yeah. They're yeah. meant to leave. And when they do, if you haven't invested time in the marriage, you sit there and when the children leave, you're looking at a stranger. Yeah. And that can be a very difficult time. I think that's a difficult time in any marriage even marriages that are have a strong foundation. Hmm. Yeah, that that's interesting. You know, as, as I hear you talk, you know, this is it's one of those things where this this conversation could go so many different ways, right? Mm-hmm. On when it comes to just family breakups, you know, and uh, I think you're right. I mean, there's uh, I haven't ever thought about it before. If you go back 30 years to reasons why families would break up, that being a much at least in conversation easier easier thing to pinpoint. Whereas now, as you said, the, the introduction of so many new outlets um, for people to, I guess, I guess get lost in um, yes. has, has just complicated this, this even more. I, I'm curious in, in terms of, uh, of average, and I, I don't know if this is a fair question to you, but do you, in your work and what you, what you deal with, I mean, does there seem to be an average age of people getting divorced? Um, that's an interesting question. I don't know that. I, I haven't looked into the research, so I'm not going to be able to give you an sure. official answer to yeah, it. I know that's not a fair um, question. I'm asking it out of, the, out of my hat, but I'm just curious. <laughs> I think just over in general, over the last two year, 10 years or so, I've seen a trend to children being younger as they come mm. into my office. So whereas it would be an upper elementary um 10 years ago that people would, children would come in at fourth grade for divorce recovery. Um, Now I'm seeing more and more preschool, three-year-olds, two-year-olds, children who will never have memories of their parents being together. And and I think the reason I asked that question is is driven by a statistic that I've heard, or at least a a quote unquote fact that I've heard that a lot of divorces, and I'm not going to put a number on it, but a lot of divorces 
are occurring within the first five years of marriage. Uh, have you guys heard this as well? And so that's that's why I was curious because I mean, obviously that if that couple does have kids, what you're saying, I mean that that lines up. And, and all that to just say that this is we know this is a problem, but it's a problem that affects kids that come through our ministries uh, from a very early age. Yes. Yeah. A lot well, of kids that are teenagers, by the time they get to teenagers, their parents have been divorced for yeah. the majority of their lives. Yeah. So to them, it's it's just normal. Whereas uh, there's still there's still those cases where it can be very much a crisis moment within a teenager's life. But uh, I, and I, I think that's why I'm trying to get to in my mind of just wondering because the more I'm seeing within the ministry that I, I'm I'm working in and kids and things like that, those who who have parents who are divorced have have been that way for quite some time already, and. I feel like that changes a little bit of how how I go about ministering. I think there's some very, I think there's still a lot of challenges, but I think there's a very unique set of challenges. And also yeah. in that kind of situation, you a lot of the times are dealing with a blended family as well. Yeah. That one or both of the parents have remarried and then you're getting into the blended family that comes with its own unique set of challenges at times. That's right. So Dan, thanks for letting me go off there a little bit. I don't know if any of that had a point to it other than me just kind of working some things out with my questions to Temple. So, <laughs> Well, you brought up a great point. It's this issue of, of blended families, and that definitely could warrant a whole episode itself of trying to navigate some of those areas. But for our listeners' sake, if perhaps they're going through the breakup or perhaps it's happened right before they get into our their student ministry, maybe they are fourth grade, and they'll be heading into student ministry when they're in seventh or any sort of thing like that. How do these family breakups affect the children and then teenagers involved? I think that, again, that's such a broad spectrum because it depends on, you have breakups that go very smoothly and have very little impact to children involved. And then you have breakups that just turn the child's life upside down. And um, I think that it's a broad spectrum there. I think that what it what comes down to most pertinently is is how the parents behave towards each other post divorce. This is a conversation I have in my office quite a bit. Um, if the parents are able to still be civil with each other, I mean, they got divorced for a reason, right? Nobody divorces someone because they really like them and they're getting along well with them. But but if they are still able to maintain a civil and a polite and a caring relationship just recognizing that my child is half of that person and therefore I'm going to honor that person if for no other reason than my child is half of them then a lot of times there's not any problems at all and they never end up in my office um, the kids who end up in my office eight to nine times out of ten are the ones because the parents are not able to maintain a level of civility or politeness or even just being able to stand in each other's presence without there being some difficulty. And that is what impacts children the most. And that's what brings children to my office most often. Most often. One of the hard things for us as, as student pastors and student ministry workers is that when these breakups happen, one of the inclinations from families is that they pull away from church because that well, ideal that we lift up in church, a mom, dad, and kids, and a whole family unit well, it's falling apart. And so instead of leaning into some of those relationships, 
it gets harder. So when we sure. have opportunity, yeah. when we have opportunity, what can we do to help our, our students navigate that family unit fracture that's going on? So several things come to mind. Um, one of the first things I want to talk about is the importance of partnering with parents um, during this difficult time. And that could be a very difficult time thing to do just because of exactly what you said, that when people divorce, somebody's out of the church. And, and so you only have one parent in front of you. And I know that as a therapist, that if I only listen to one person's story over and over, it's really hard to remember that there's another side of the story. So it's really easy to get pulled in and become biased towards the story that you're hearing over and over. But if you can maintain kind of a stance of neutrality and just encourage that parent to um, be able to be civil with their spouse, um, to be able to um, any kind of conflicts that they have, to have it away from the child, to be a support for that parent as they enter into single parenthood, because single parenthood has its own sets of challenges, especially as children go into teenage years and and children of divorce of, who are teenagers will experience a lot of anger. And often the parent that they live with and feel the safest with is the one that will get the majority of that anger and that angry outburst. So I would say any way that you can support that parent who is new to single parenthood would be kind of the first thing that you could do that would be a support for the child. I think after that, the biggest thing I can tell you is connection, to connect with that child to connect with them when they're in a good mood, connect with them when they're angry, connect with them when they feel like they don't want anything to do with you, just to be a steady, constant presence in the life of the child and to project that attitude that you can bring whatever you want to me and I'm not going anywhere, that I'm going to stay here by your side, I think is one of the most important things that we can do for a teen or a young or preteen during that time. Temple, that brings up just a thought in my mind. I remember, and I can't tell you, like I, this is—I don't mean this to to sound like I'm standing on a pedestal or anything like that. I just remember having this thought from a very early age that whenever the Lord called me to ministry, I wanted to be very careful to knowing that a lot of this was out of my control, right? right. Uh, but some of it was very much in my control. I wanted to be very careful not to go to a church and and with intentions of only staying for a couple of years and then moving to another place. Um, and, and again, I know, I know that some of that again is out of my control, but I remember in college being asked several times to come and, and be a, a youth pastor or things like that. And I just never felt comfortable saying yes to it because I knew that my, my plans for the future were not clear just yet. And, it just didn't seem right for me to enter into a kid's life. And then knowingly in two, three years, I'm probably going to be moving out of that kid's life um, sure. because of what we're talking about right here, because of all the the brokenness that many kids are experiencing in their own homes. And I didn't want to be one more source that came in and then just left. So I, I feel like there is something to, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, but it's just the, the, the real um, benefit, if I can use it that way, of of staying in a, in one place for a long time, um, in order to to connect and to be that steady source for for people um, for right. kids. And, and I think it's 
I think it's so easy and it sounds easy for me to say to connect that connection in my field. We talk about connection is king yeah. and it sounds very easy, but to children, the way you establish connection is time. Yeah. So time of being present with them and nobody else matters to me in this moment, but you time of yeah. longevity of how long you've known them being there through good and bad and being a constant person. There's, in my field in play therapy, there's these what are called be with attitudes. And um, Dr. Gary Landreth, who's one of the people who helped establish something called child-centered play therapy, and he came up with these be with attitudes. It's very simply that I am here, I hear you, I understand, and I care. And I think that platform, if you take that, is a platform that's applicable to therapy, yeah. to adult therapy, to marital therapy. It's applicable to my relationships in everyday life. It's applicable to my relationship with my husband, to my yeah. friends. It's it's a formula that goes so far beyond the therapy room. And yeah. so just that presence of being with someone and being connected to them in the moment in a way that makes them feel that at this moment, there is no one else more important to me than you are. I think yeah. that it's very much the way that 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 Christ will meet us in our moments. And so I think it's just very much an, an embodiment and a, and a picture of what Christ is already doing for us. So I think it's a perfect way to then turn around and minister to our students or anybody that we come across. One of the things that I might share with our listeners is that depending on the size of your group, you may not be able to connect with every student, You, but you are probably putting some volunteers into place. And when those volunteers come along, it is, it's even more important that you pick the right people, that you pray over that, that you spend time evaluating them, that they're going to connect, that they're going to strive for connection with these students so that they can be present when life is hard and life is difficult. And well, if I could step out of my role as a therapist for a minute and just put myself in the role as a youth pastor's wife, I can remember many times, especially in um, our e our early years of youth ministry, that I felt like if I wasn't connecting on a very deep basis with every single student that was in front of me, that I was failing them. And it took me a couple of years to learn the lesson that I don't have to be the one who connects with them. You hmm. can be someone else. It doesn't have, I'm not the only one here who is capable of doing this. It just needs to be someone. And I think that when I learned that lesson, that was very freeing for me and also allowed other people to step in and, and to minister to those kids in ways that maybe I couldn't. Well, Chris, as we um, start to wrap up our conversation about helping students navigate family breakup, do you have any other questions for Temple tonight? Temple, I, I'm trying to boil it down to one question that I think would be helpful to me and then maybe helpful to others. And that's hard um, to do. It is, it is. And, and I don't, I don't know how I can, how I can say this because I do have a, I do have a lot of questions. What I'm thinking is back to something I've already said, we've already kind of touched on is in a culture that where divorce is becoming more and more normalized. Right. In right, other words, I mean, easy. it's just, let's just face it. I mean, it's just not that big a deal to people. Right. Uh, commitment, lifelong commitment. I think people would still say that's ideal and noteworthy and uh, and people applaud that. 
but for for many and especially teenagers because of maybe just what they see in popular media and culture i mean and in, and then of course what they see in their homes i mean divorce and family breakups blended families splits all this kind of stuff just seems to be uh just normalized and so my question is it, one am i am i am i right in saying it that way uh, and then two, if if that's true, how can we as as youth pastors and, and just people who who work with kids who just are around families that I mean, and just being good church members, really, how can we not fall into that into that mentality where this is just uh, this is just okay and this is just how it's going to be? You know, what I'm, am I am I saying that yeah. correctly? And that may be too big of a question right here to end with. But Dan, you asked me, and so there it is. There you go. <laughs> If you say, Chris, that's just a bad question. I'm fine no, with that. I, I think it's, I think it's an excellent question. I'm just, I'm, that's a whole episode in itself, isn't it? But, yeah. Um, I think Dan did that, it, not me. I say that often. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Um, I think that we live in a culture where increasingly there are no absolutes. So yeah. whether it's friendships, relationships, marriage, gender, there really are no absolutes anymore. That term that we all we all grew up with of the truth, that the absolute truth is just kind of off the table. And mm. most people don't even have most people that I work with uh, under the age of I'd say probably 25, don't have much of a concept of absolute truth anymore. Mm. And so I think that that has made a big impact in um not just our families and in our children, but in our culture. Hmm. And we see, I think that some of these very rapid changes we're seeing in our culture right now are, are because of that. So I think that as people who are trying to minister in, in this environment of everything being relative and there being no absolute truth, and you get to choose your own reality, I think the most important thing is to make sure that you are firm in what you believe is absolute. You are firm. If you're married, you are strong in your relationship and you are modeling a real marriage to children. And that means that they see you not getting along sometimes and they see you irritated with each other. I remember when Dan and I would take youth groups years ago that sometimes he would give me a peck on the cheek, just a little quick kiss. And everybody in the youth group would go, Oh, and we did it on purpose just so that the kids would see small demonstrations of affection. I think that is still very important today. Um, I think that so maintaining your own relationship with your spouse, maintaining your own definition of, of following God and what is absolute truth. And there's a lot of things that as Christians we can disagree on, but there are some things that we need to be very straight on and that we are all agreeing on Mm. and just making sure that those are lined up. And that's what you're demonstrating in the day in and day out in the trenches, as it were, because it's the day in and day out where uh, this idea of absolute truth is being where where the war is. And, And so I think that it's very important for us to go, yes, and to have these difficult conversations that maybe even five, 10 years ago, we would have never really wanted to have in our youth group. I mm-hmm. think that that's a perfect place to have those difficult conversations nowadays in that concept of, of safety, emotional safety and of acceptance. And you can bring what you are and what you think 
into this room. And at the same time, here's our standard of truth. And this is what we stand by. That's good. I agree. Well, Temple, we've got to wrap up tonight. And so let me ask you this. As um, youth pastors, as student ministry workers, we see our students go through all sorts of stuff. But what do we need to be on the, the lookout for? Some things and some situations where we say, hey, we need to talk to a professional counselor. Um, sure. So there's actually some um, very distinct things that you can look for when a child is really um, struggling and maybe some professional help is is needed. Um, and one of those things is a child who has an abrupt change of behavior. A child who was very social and then all of a sudden starts withdrawing and not just like for a day or two, but um, withdrawing more and more over an extended period of time. Sometimes it looks like depression and sometimes it looks like anxiety because especially the younger the child is, the more that depression doesn't really look like what we think of depression. As adults, it can look more like anxiety and acting out and the problem child um, is often the child that's really struggling emotionally. Um, so someone who withdraws someone who you see, of course, the marked behavior of drinking, um, becoming promiscuous, um, you know, delving into drugs, those, those kind of problem dangerous areas, or, um, someone who's, who's cutting off friendships that they've had for years. Um, another thing that I would look for is not just cutting off friendships, but a a definite marked change in the relationships and the people that they are hanging out with, or maybe they felt very connected to their family. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, they don't want to be with their family anymore. I think all of those are um, indicators. Another one that, that I look for in my room is, is someone who is wearing sweatshirts or very long t-shirts and jeans in the middle of summer, because to me, that's like an indicator is someone getting into some self-harm. So just that change to behavior versus, and also not being able to, um, to show their arms or anything. That's kind of one, some of the things that I look for, but, um, that marked behavior is probably going to be the biggest thing to, um, send up the red flags for you. Well, thanks for sharing those. I know as, as student ministry workers, we're not professional counselors. God has, called us to, to be teachers of the word, to care for students, and we can offer biblical counsel. Uh, but there are times when we need to turn that over to somebody like you and some of the others at Fresh Roots. I mean, that that type of mindset. And so uh, I just thank you so much for doing the interview with us tonight. You're welcome. <laughs> this has been just another part of, of this series. We wanted to, to talk to some people who could really help us as we try to help students navigate some hard and difficult emotional things. Family breakups are one of those, Um, but we're going to love on our students. We're going to care about them. We're going to keep caring about them, trying to connect with them and do some of those other things. And we do all of it because student ministry matters. Thanks for listening to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. Get connected at studentministrymatters.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Student Ministry Matters. Until next time, keep up the great work with your students because the work matters.